Well, boy, church, it is great to be back with you. My name's Ethan, one of the ministers here, and so glad to be with you as we continue our series, It's Just a Phase, Don't Miss It. Now, the last three weeks have been great. You're hardly going to want me back in the pulpit. Let's see. Three weeks ago, we had College Sunday, and Janet led us to God's Word to see how do we navigate a crisis. And then we had Kids Sunday, and Adam called us to action to say, don't miss a single marble. And then last week, we had student takeover. And I know I'm biased because my own kid was in it, but it was awesome. Student takeover was amazing last week. And there's so much going on. Like, you got to pay attention to keep up right now. We had the 5K just happened. It was incredible. Uh, We're working on these birthday presents, right? It's our 150th birthday, so we're giving presents to our community. We've given away three. We're working on funding the next three church planting, um, launching new ministry students both at Milligan and here through our SEND fund. So if you want to give to those, make sure you're giving to that. Choir concert tonight at 5.30. Uh, We moved it up a little bit so that um, we can go straight from there over. Uh, Just remind you, the hospital has reached out to us and asked us to start praying for them again. I love that testimony. Uh, And so we're doing that at 7 p.m. It's in the the parking lot there in front of the Ronald McDonald House, so make sure you're there uh, to pray at 7 p.m. We're just going to do that every Sunday night for as long as it feels uh, necessary. And right now, we're going to dive in to another phase. Uh, And it's it's a phase you're going to recognize. It's a place you have been. We're, we're talking about the phase of failure and disappointment. Now, now failure and disappointment are not the same thing, right? Uh, but they have something in common. Both failure and disappointment imply the existence of a standard that was not met. So when I don't meet the standard, well, that is when I experience failure. And when the world, when life itself doesn't live up to the standard, that's when I'm disappointed. Uh, The standard could be internal. Like you've got standards, I've got standards. I often don't even live up to my own standards. And neither does the world. So so the failure and disappointment could be from my standards that I didn't reach or the world didn't reach. Or or the standards could be external. It could be somebody else's standards. Maybe the teacher has standards or the boss has standards and you failed to meet those. It could be God's standards. When I don't live up to God's standards, I've failed. And it could be the world, right? It could be the world that just isn't living up to God's standards or to somebody else's standards. And so we're all disappointed. And I think a lot of us have been just sort of camped in this phase for a while, haven't we? Doesn't it feel like failure and disappointment is around every turn lately? I talked to a dad several months ago. He said, 2020 was going to be the year we were going to take a big family vacation. I've been saving for years for it. And we lost half the money on deposits we would never get back. So I took the money we had left, and we put deposits down for 2021, because that would be the year. And he was choked up. He said, Ethan, 
all the money I'd saved to take my family on a big vacation. And they both got canceled. He said, I have failed my family. Talked to a young guy. It's probably nine months ago. He said, for the first time in ages, I finally felt like I was experiencing some real freedom from pornography. I felt like I was making progress and getting free and getting better. And then the quarantine hit, and I was cooped up at home, and I was stressed, and I was worried I would lose my job, and I went right back to my old habits. Uh, I heard from a teacher, said, I am ready to give up. And so is everybody I work with. All we've done is try our best, but we feel like we've failed our students. How can we teach in this context? And on top of that, everybody is mad at us. And they think we failed too. Talk to a grandparent. How are you doing? Well, okay. Haven't seen my grandkids since Christmas 2019. Just never imagined it'd be this long. Just, 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 just disappointed by life, you know. And, and, and I got my stories too, right? I could, just in the last couple years, I could tell you stories of leadership failure where we thought we made the right decision and now I don't think so, so much. Or, or pastoral failures where people needed me and I didn't show up because I was busy with my own junk and, and they needed me and I wasn't there and I should have been there. Or parenting failures where I had stuff going on at work and I brought that home and turned it into stuff going on at home when it didn't need to be stuff going on at home. Like, I got stories too, right? Like, anybody else got a witness this morning to a season of failure and disappointment? Some of us do. Like, that was supposed to work out. I had plans. And they all crashed down. So what do you do when you're in that phase? Do you ignore it? Do you deny it? No, it wasn't me. I didn't do it. It's not that bad, you know? Do you lie about it? Pretend the failure didn't happen? Pretend, oh, no, I kind of expected things to work out like trash. That was kind of what I was hoping for. What do you do when you're in that phase? Well, you won't be surprised. It's in the title of the series. God says, don't miss it because God is present there and so today we are going to face our failure but you're going to have to buckle up because we got a ton of text we're going to look at today okay um if you've got a Bible with you, turn to Romans chapter 7. If you've got a phone with you, just Google Romans 7. Because I want you looking at this text. I don't want you to hear what I've got to say about the season of failure and disappointment. I want you to know that what you're hearing is from God's Word. So Romans 7, you won't have to flip around much. We're going to look at Romans 7 and Romans 8. Romans 7, we're going to start in verse 14. Here's the way Paul starts. We know that the law is spiritual. The law is just a shorthand for God's will for your life. He says it's spiritual. That means God's plan, God's will for your life is both from God and it is for good. What God calls you to, what God commands of you is both from God with God's authority and it is for good. 
with God's blessing. That's how the law works, he says. But I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. In case you're wondering, I do not understand what I do. That is the official motto of anyone who has tried to lead any organization for the last two years. That's the official motto. I have no idea what I'm doing. That's it. That's the motto. Whether you were trying to lead a church or a business or a classroom or a family or just lead yourself through life, I do not understand what I'm doing is the official motto of the last two years. He goes on, for what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. That, in case you're curious, is the official motto of failure. That's what failure looks like. What I want to do, I do not do. What I hate, I do. That's what it looks like to fail. You don't do the stuff you want to do, and you do the stuff you don't want to do. He goes on, and if I do what I don't want to do, well, then I'm clearly in agreement that the law is good. Remember, the law is from God and for good. As it is, it's no longer I myself who does it, but it's sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. I do not do the good I want to do, but doggone it. I have plenty of time. I have plenty of capacity when it comes to doing the evil I don't want to do. I always got time for that. This I keep on doing. Anybody relate to verse 19 there? I didn't get around to the good I wanted to do. I had a note I was going to write. I was going to make a call. I was going to bake them a casserole. I was going to tell them I loved them. I was going to get a little extra work done. I was going to get an A on that test. I don't do the good I want to do. But man, am I consistent at doing the evil I don't want to do. Verse 20, now if I do what I don't want to do, it's no longer I who does it, but it's sin living in me. Here's the law at work for my life. Remember, God's law is spiritual. It's from God and for good. He said, here's the law for me, though, verse 21. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind, making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? When you take a minute and notice that you've failed, when you take a minute and recognize that it didn't work out, that you are, in fact, a failure, this is the question you ask. What a wretched person I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? And everybody in the whole world knows half of the pain Paul's feeling. Everybody knows half of the pain because half of the pain is is just the question, what is wrong with me? I don't even live up to my own standards. Forget other people's standards. Forget God's standards. I don't even live up to my standards, right? Like even the stuff I wanted to do, even the stuff I set out to do, I give up and give in. We fail ourselves. We fail our families. We fail the test. We fail the task. 
half the pain everybody knows. But Christians, we know the full pain of what Paul is saying. What a wretched man I am. Because we recognize that our failure isn't just failing our own standards. It's failing God's standards. Which means that we have missed the life God has for us. And we stand in rebellion against the holy God. Remember, the law is spiritual. It is from God. It is for good. So when we defy God's law, we both miss the good that God's law would lead us to, and we rebel against God. We reject God's holiness. We reject God's majesty. We reject God's sovereignty. And and some of you are, are there today, okay? You have indulged a lust habit and and you just haven't paid attention to the fact that that's in rebellion against God. And it's not doing you any favors either. Or or you have you have participated in, in in gossip. That's how you've gotten through the pandemic, is calling people and telling stories about people. Or you've let your heart become selfish, you know? Or you've adopted a critical spirit. Or you've given into idolatry. Idolatry just means you made anything at all more important in your life than God. Anything at all. It could be yourself. It could be your ego. It could be your job. It could be wealth. It could be politics. It could be whatever. But you make something more important than God. That's idolatry. And some of us have just, we've just done that. Some of you are in this place today and you're trying not to admit it, but, you're tr- but it's true. And lying about having failed the holiness of God won't help. Instead, you need to ask the question Paul asks, who will rescue me? Maybe just for practice. You don't have to admit that you need it, but maybe you could just try saying that question. Just say that question with me. Say, who will rescue me? Because that's the question we need to be asking when we find that we have failed. The question, because see, it won't be you, all right? Like if that's your idea, yeah, I failed, but I'll get myself out of it. There is no self-help from failure and sin. Paul says we are prisoners to sin. We just read that. Paul said that those who seek to save themselves are basically dead. Remember, we fail ourselves, right? Even our own standards we fail to live up to. How could we possibly think that we were the solution to living up to God's standards? What kind of fool would put hope in themselves? I have failed myself too often to ever put my hope in me. And you shouldn't put your hope in me either. I'm not worth it. I'm not reliable enough. Paul asks this question, verse 24, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? And then if you've been looking in your Bibles or looking on your phone, you already know the answer is right there. It's the very next words. Thanks be to God. Who will rescue me? Thanks be to God. Who will rescue me? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my flesh I'm a slave to the law of sin. And then he just keeps going, explaining this great rescuing work of God. Here's what he said, Romans chapter 8. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. All that failure that we listed He says there is no condemnation 
for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did. Remember that. That's a, that's, a, that's a verse worth remembering. Don't memorize the whole verse. Just memorize those two words. God did what you couldn't do. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but live according to the spirit. What you could not do, Paul says, God did. And then there's a warning, okay? He gives a warning. Don't, 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 don't get indulgent. Paul's about to warn you. Here's the warning. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live according to the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. Paul, Paul says, we, just says, pay attention. For if your mind is set on what the flesh desires, well, it, it'll lead you down a path. A path of greater failure, of continued rebellion, and ultimate destruction. That's what he says. But Paul doesn't stay there very long. He goes on. He says, you, however, no, 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 it's not going to happen to you. No, no, that's not going to be your story. You're not going to set your mind on the flesh and just follow it on a path of destruction. That's not going to be your story. He says, you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit if the Spirit of God lives in you. And now if you don't have the Spirit of Christ, well, you don't belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. Paul just says, hey, Paul says, I don't know how to be any clearer. If you allow the Spirit of Christ to be in you, you will live no matter how much you fail. But if the Spirit of Christ is not in you, you will die no matter how hard you try. Like that's just it, he says. In your flesh, you have failed. And if you haven't admitted that to yourself lately, you probably should. In your flesh, you've failed. Probably more than you know. Certainly more than you're willing to admit. A rebel against God. And how does God respond to those who have rebelled against his law, which is spiritual, it is from God, and is for good? How does God respond? Here's how God responds. God says, well, yes, in your flesh you failed. You failed yourself. You can't even live up to your own standards. You failed me. You certainly can't live up to my standards. But in Christ, you are victorious. This is God's response to our failure, to all our failure, to all the failures of the last two years, to all the failures of a lifetime, to your failure last night, to the failure you had this morning. Yes, in your flesh, you failed yourself and you failed me, your holy God, but in Christ, you are victorious. See, failure is just a phase. 
Don't you miss that in the moment of your failure, you have a chance to learn about the sufficiency of God. And that is good news, but Paul isn't done. Because now, Paul wants to tell us how we should respond to how God responds. Remember, we fail, God responds. We just talked about that. Now Paul says, but you need to respond to how God responds to how you fail. And in short, here's what Paul's going to say. He says, don't let the fact of your failure make you miss what God wants to do in your life. Don't let the fact that you failed yesterday, last week, last year, last minute, don't let the fact that you just blew it for God and rebelled against his holiness make you miss what God wants to do. On the contrary, Paul thinks that the fact of your failure coupled with God's response to your failure is actually an opportunity for you to engage the mission and holiness of God more than you ever have before. Here's how he goes on. Very next verse, Romans 8, verse 12. So if you've got your Bibles, you're following along, you're on your phone, you're scrolling along, I want you to know this is in the text. He says, therefore, because God responded to our failure with grace and rescued us and made us alive with the spirit of Christ rather than the spirit of the flesh which leads to death, therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, a duty. But it's not to the flesh. Remember, the flesh hasn't done anything for you. Not to the flesh, live according to it. For remember, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you'll live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit testifies, brags, announces, declares with our spirit that we are God's children. If you want to walk tall and stand proud after you've failed, you just say, I may have failed, but I'm I'm God's daughter. I'm God's son. God is my Abba, my daddy, my father. So you don't mess with this. Yeah, I'm a failure, but you should see my daddy. My daddy will beat up your daddy. He says, if we are children, then we are heirs. That means we inherit the blessing of God, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we will share in his sufferings so that we may share in his glory. I want to teach you a profound spiritual principle. I believe in spiritual warfare and I wish I had more time to talk about it. But today I just want you to give you this one idea in your head. Whenever we fail God or fail ourselves, we fall into sin... Satan gets a chance at two victories, a little one and a big one. Now, when we fall into sin, the little victory, Satan already won. That was you falling into sin, rebelling against God, denying the lordship, the goodness of God's law. That already happened. We forsake our first love. We stood against God's holiness. And that's pretty exciting for Satan when one of God's children falls into sin. But that's not the big victory Satan wants. The big victory is what comes next. It's when we allow our failure to lead us into shame, which separates us from the Father and separates us from our calling. 
when we say, I blew it again. I broke God's law. I sinned again. I guess God could never love me now. Or I messed up again. I let down my family. I should have been there for them, and I wasn't. I wasn't the dad my kids needed. I should just give up. They'd be better off without me as a dad. Or, or, I, or I betrayed my marriage, or I was fired from my job, and we say, maybe I'll never be the person I want to be. I should just quit trying. God's so done with me. After all I've done, there's no way God would give me a third, fourth, fifth chance. You see, that's the big victory Satan wants. The big victory is not when you sinned again and broke God's law and denied his holiness. God's so used to that. He sent Christ to the cross for that. God's prepared for that. God's got a strategy for that. God's grace is sufficient for that. The big victory Satan wants is when the fact of your failure leads you to deny the goodness of God, to, to, to abandon your commitment to God's holiness, to give up on yourself and give up on your Savior. You, some of you are just giving Satan the big victory in your life. Just because he won the little victory. Satan wants you to look back on your failure and say, you know, I let my wife down so badly, I'm not even sure I'm going to work on this marriage. I, you know, I, there's no way. I just go, let's give up now. Some of you were saying, you know, I'm such a mess up. I'm such a bad Christian, whatever that means. It's on kind I know, but whatever, okay. I'm a bad Christian. I shouldn't even try to share my faith. The last time I tried, they asked me questions, and I didn't know the answer. I failed. It was a disaster, so I I should just quit. Maybe you're just saying, you know, I try and stand against the path of this world, but I keep tripping up, so maybe I'll just give up and just go along and fit in. Satan says, I won the small victory, and you're just going to hand him the big victory. God forbid. That's what God's word says. God forbid. The spirit you received does not make you slaves. That's what Paul says. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you should cower back and live in fear again as if to say, I failed once, therefore I am a failure and that will be the end of my story. No, the spirit you received brought your adoption to sonship. You declare, I am God's child, so yes, I have failed, and I may be disciplined for my failure, but I will never be abandoned for my failure. I will never be forgotten. Try these words with me. Give this a try. This is going to be hard for some of you to say, but you might want to practice it with me. Say say this. Say, I tried. Say that. I tried. Try that. I tried. I failed. I failed. God forgives. God forgives. Christ redeems. Christ redeems. So I have, so I have, nothing to fear. Nothing to fear. I tried. Yeah, I did. I gave it my best shot. And I failed. But God forgives, Christ redeems, 
so I have nothing to fear. Paul said, therefore, we have an obligation, but not to the flesh, but to God's spirit to live again into the holiness to which God calls us. That is God's plan for your failure. That's the plan. To forgive it, to rescue you from the consequences of your sin so that you can then re-engage the life of holiness with absolutely no fear. Uh, my, my son and I went to a new waterfall yesterday. Uh, it's one of these where you can climb upon a rock and jump into the water. And we went up to this place and nobody else was there, so we were having to kind of scope out where was the right place. We found a little spot, thought it would look good. First time we jumped off, I was terrified. If my son hadn't been standing behind me and I was trying to look brave for him, I never would have done it. But I was trying to impress him, so I did it. First time I jumped off, I was terrified. Second time I jumped off, I wasn't scared at all. Why was that? Oh, because I'd already done it once. So tell me you're afraid of failure? I'd say, how can you be afraid of failure? You've already failed so much. God has already forgiven you so much. God has already redeemed you so much. God has already put you back up on your feet so many times. How can you be afraid of failure this time? I tried. I failed. God forgives. Christ redeems. So I have nothing to fear. That is God's plan for your failure. To leave you stronger and bolder because you know the sufficiency of God's grace. And if that's God's plans for your failure, I can't wait to tell you God's plan for your disappointment. Keep reading with me. Romans 18. Romans 8, 18. What's God's plan for when you're disappointed? Here's what he said. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in the hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay. You want to tell Paul, you don't understand, Paul. Things have been bad lately. Things are messed up lately. My job betrayed me. My health betrayed me. The world went crazy. And Paul says, yeah, of course the world disappoints. It's in bondage to decay. Creation itself is in bondage to decay. Of course you're disappointed by it. But he says that creation itself will be liberated from that bondage to decay, and brought into freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen, that's no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Paul says, don't put your hope in the world. The world is subject to frustration. The world is in bondage to decay. The world is hopeless. Of course our present circumstances disappoint us because the world has fallen. Of course, other people disappoint us because they're failures just like we are. Of course, our plans disappoint us. 
The miracle is that any of our plans ever work out at all. For creation itself is subjected to frustration. But we are a people of hope. Therefore, we do not put our hope in this world because this world is hopeless. You can't be a person of hope and put your hope in the world because the world is hopeless. Our hope is in what we do not have. A couple verses later, Paul says this, skipping around to verse 28. We, in fact, know that in all things, what kinds of things? All this bad stuff he's been talking about. In your failure, in my failure, even in our times of sin, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. God is so busy. God is anticipating your failure. God is anticipating the disappointment of this world. He says, for those God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Now, Paul is getting warmed up here. He wants you to know that our world may disappoint us. In fact, it's likely. Our circumstances may disappoint us. In fact, it's likely. Other people may disappoint us. In fact, it's guaranteed. Your parents will disappoint us. Your your, disappoint you. Your kids will disappoint you. You will be a disappointment to yourself. But our God will not. That's, that's what you learn from this phase of failure and disappointment. You see, failure is just a phase. And you will one day be redeemed and perfected if you have trusted in Christ and allowed your life to be ruled by his spirit. You'll be sent back out on mission for God, even wounded as you are, Some of you are still trying to tell God, you don't understand, I am too broken to be sent on mission for you. I failed too much. I'm too too given over to sin. I'm too, too lost in my lust or my greed or my ego to ever be on mission for you. And Paul and God's saying, don't you give Satan two easy victories just because he got one. You let me redeem you and forgive you. And then you let that give you a confidence that you have no reason to fear. Remember, I tried. I failed. God forgives, Christ redeems, therefore I have nothing to fear. What can I be afraid of? I already messed it all up, and God fixed it all. Disappointment is just a phase. One day all creation will be restored, and God will mend our broken hearts and mend this broken world until only thing we have left to say is amen. Praise the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, I I don't know... What else there is to say, really, uh, about this phase of failure and disappointment? So I I think I'm just going to give Paul the last words here today, okay? Band, if you all want to go ahead and come on out, uh, we're going to let Paul finish the sermon today. Um, But I want the band out here because I'm pretty sure when Paul's done preaching, we're going to want to sing. That's just the way I think it's going to happen. I think when Paul's done preaching, uh, we're going to want to sing. So we're going to try that. About halfway through, you're going to see me tell you to stand up, and and you just do it. Because trust me, by the time I get done reading what Paul says here, you're going to want to sing. So you be ready. Here's how Paul starts his conclusion to this section. He says this. Well, what then shall we say in response to these things? 
What things were that? Oh yeah, things like you may have failed, but God will redeem and set you aright and give you a spirit of sonship so that you can cry, Daddy, come rescue me every time you mess up for the rest of your life. What are we going to say in response to these things? What sort of things? Oh yeah, things like I am convinced that our present sufferings do not compare to the glory. What should we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring a charge against those whom God has chosen? No one! Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, he is right there, sitting next to God, interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Will it be trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Well, you know what the Bible says, right? For your sake, we will face death all day long. We're basically sheep waiting to be slaughtered. Yeah, life's hard. But it won't be one of these things. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I'm convinced it won't be death or life. It won't be angels or demons. It won't be the present or the future. It won't be any powers. It won't be height or depth or anything else in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God. Let's go ahead and stand up. Nothing will separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord.